how many of you know what I'm talking about when I comment about the motivational slogans and logos that you will see from time to time. They show up on posters. They show up on billboards around towns and cities. Usually it's a one-word theme or maybe a couple of words followed by a statement. Here's an example for you if you're having trouble picturing what I'm talking about. It'll have a, a picture and then say a word like excellence like this does or courage or motivation or something along those lines. This particular one says excellence and then it goes on to describe a little bit about what excellence is. It says excellence is the result of Thinking about what others think is noise, risking more than others do, dreaming more than others think of, and expecting more than others think is possible. And it's meant to motivate you a little bit. And you see those from time to time, and they're used in that way. One company has taken that model and changed it drastically. In fact, if you go to this particular company's homepage of their website, here is kind of their mission statement, what they say they're looking to do. And it says this, No industry has inflicted more suffering than the motivational industry. Motivational books, speakers, and posters have made billions of dollars selling shortcuts to success and tools for unleashing our unlimited potential. At the name of the company, we know such products only raise hopes in order to dash them. That's why our products go straight to the dashing. Enjoy. And then on a page where they sell some of their products, which are called demotivator products. This is what the page says there. Motivational products don't work. But our demotivator products don't work even better. Here are some examples of their demotivator products. Here's one. Ambition. The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. Here's another. Failure is not an option. It's your destiny. Are you feeling demotivated yet? You came to be encouraged today, didn't you? Here's another. Frustration. When all else fails, look at the healing power of brute force. How about this one? Th this applies. We've got a couple of these in the auditorium here. Innovation. We regret to inform you that the flying cars we promised aren't feasible, but we do hope you'll enjoy the spying vacuums. I don't know if they're spying on us or not. How about this one? Mediocrity. It takes a lot less time, and most people won't notice the difference. Risk-taking. The pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. Or you could die from it. It's hard to know with these things sometimes. How about this one? Social media. 
We bring the whole world together so you can watch them tear each other apart. How about this? Tradition. Just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it isn't incredibly stupid. I don't know about you, but I'm demotivated. Anybody else this morning? You know what the name of that company is? The name of the company that sells these products, and yes, it really is a company, and they really do sell these products. The name of the company is despair. Fitting, isn't it? Clearly, they're trying to practice satire and influx some humor. And if you're not actually experiencing despair, you might look at some of those things and, and get a chuckle out of them. Laugh at them. See the humor in it. But on the other hand, if you're experiencing despair, suffering despair is no joke. You might find it difficult to find the humor in things like that. Suffering despair happens generally in life. In other words, you or another person, we might use this statement, they despair of life. And what that means is all of life is a struggle. All of life seems hopeless. They've struggled to find any meaning, any purpose, any hope in life. Often people suffer from despair. It includes feelings of loneliness. I'm all alone in this. Passivity, in other words, not dr no drive, no motivation. They're demotivated. As well as feelings of estrangement, they actually separate themselves from others and from relationship. And unfortunately, despairing of life generally and regularly leads to suicide or to forms of self you can also experience despair not of life generally but in specific situations for example maybe you or someone you know bounces around from job to job and what they're trying to do is find that dream and they come to a place where they despair of experiencing that and they spend their vocational life bouncing from job to job you may despair if you're a single person of ever finding the one hopeless about it you might not be single but now your despair may be that you're living with the wrong one and you feel hopeless about that relationship you might feel despair about ever getting a grasp or a handle on your finances. It's a constant battle, a constant struggle, and finally you just throw in the towel, and it's never going to be good. It's never going to be what I want it to be. I'm never going to have a grasp, a handle on my finances, and I'm just going to give up and not care, not worry about it. Any of these situations and others are capable of producing 
hopelessness. And all of us, all of us face situations that can lead to that place. If you're of the human race, then you will experience things that could lead to despair, to hopelessness. I want to bring you a message from Luke 7, 11 through 17 today, entitled, Despair Defeated. After Jesus interacted with the centurion in Capernaum, whose servant was sick, he left Capernaum again to travel to a nearby town called Nain. And as he arrived, he walked upon one of these human experiences of despair. Follow along as we read Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about. Is there anyone in the house today who can relate or identify with the experience of despair found in this text? How about those of you watching or listening online? Can you relate to the type of hopelessness that would be found or could be found in a situation such as what we read of in Luke 7, 11 through 17? The experience of despair recorded here reminds us of the experiences of despair that we face in our own lives. I, too, have had my own battles with despair. Most recently with the birth of my son. You ask, why would the birth of a son be a reason for despair? Many of you know this, because the pregnancy began with two, not one. And for my wife and I, there were moments of grief throughout the pregnancy. There were conversations about what kind of emotions will we experience even as we go to deliver our son Noah. What, what will the emotions be? We, we're familiar with those emotions. And those of you who are parents know this. When that baby is, is delivered, just the overwhelming flood of emotion, the the joy, the love, the we made it. Almost a relief. 
thief at that point a little bit too. And we wondered what will be mixed in. Well, as two Sundays ago, even during the labor, it came up in conversation with the medical personnel. And then when Noah was born at 2.44 Sunday morning, there was, there was that same flood of emotion, that joy, that, that love that just fills your heart for that newborn baby who belongs to you. And as the doctor laid Noah up on his mother and I watched as the, the dad watched as Noah and Stephanie cuddled and snuggled for that first time and it was just a sweet uh, tender moment this picture taking just moments after Noah was born and as I sat there as dad over, overwhelmed with those normal emotions I suddenly had the picture in my mind of Noah on this shoulder and then twin on this shoulder. And it was painful. I turned my face away so that so as Stephanie not to see the pain that was on my face as I tried to compose myself is just in that moment uh, not, not aware that it was coming not not planning for it to happen but in just that moment it happened again last Sunday morning as I stood down here as we were singing songs of worship out of nowhere a sudden sudden feeling sudden thoughts of not the baby that is here but the baby that's not here and the grief and the pain the hurt that goes along with that many of you can relate to similar experiences that can lead to despair or have led to despair for you in the past. Some of you sitting here today, some of you watching or listening online, despair of life or of some situation in your life right now. There may be a general sense of hopelessness. There may be a specific area in your life that is hopeless. As we consider Luke 7, 11 through 17, I want you and me to see that Jesus' work in this text shows that he can show up and help us overcome any experience of despair. Do you believe that today? In your life and mine, if it's of life generally, if it's of some specific situation, Jesus can show up and he can help you to overcome that occasion of despair. What did Jesus do in this text to help them overcome despair? He raised someone who was dead to life. What? Friends, would you agree? me Jesus can do that then he can work to help you to overcome 
whatever it is that you're facing today that would cause despair. And so today, I want us to examine the text from that perspective. Would you notice with me, first of all, the reasons for despair? As Jesus approached the city of Nain, a funeral procession was on the way out of the city. In that day and in that culture, they did not put off for days a funeral, a celebration of life, a memorial service like we do today. In that day and culture, when someone died, the funeral took place within 24 hours. And so we come to this first reason for despair found in this text. Very simple, very profound though, and it's this, death. Death. The normal human experience of death. In this past week, I have listened to several people talk about death in different ways and the human experience of death. Wednesday night before we went out for our community connections, prayer needs were shared about the death of a young father with three young sons. The suicide of a pastor's daughter. The death, unexpected and tragic, of a teen daughter. I spoke with another one on the phone who had a near-death experience and the corresponding fears and struggles that that person is experiencing in part because of that near-death experience. This is a normal human experience and yet it is one that can often lead to despair. Many of us can relate to despair of death. Maybe you fear your own death for one reason or another. It doesn't just have to be about the fear of death itself. It, it can be the fear of leaving someone behind. The fear of the situation or the condition of your family if you were to pass away. It, it can be fears along those lines. It could be that the death, the impending death of a loved one. They're not gone yet, but it's certain to happen soon, and that has left you hopeless. Or maybe you're still drowning from a death that has taken place of someone near and dear to you. The text introduces a young man who died, but the experience of death was not so much his to bear as it was that of his mother. He's dead. There's no despair for him. The despair is for his mother to bear. And look at this mother. She's already had run-ins with death, hasn't she? How, do, how does the Bible characterize her? She is a what? She's a widow. What does that mean? Her spouse has already passed away. And now here she is. She's had that experience with death. We don't know how long ago it has happened. But now, having had that run-in with death, now her only son has died. It's her only son. 
I'm not sure that a woman could endure more than the death of a husband followed by the death of an only child. But I want you to see there's not only despair as a reason for uh, death as a reason for despair. Here, look at a second reason for despair in the text. Not only death, but how about destitution? You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? There's more to her grief than the death of her husband and only child. For this woman in that day and culture, without the social safety nets that one may have access to today in our society, a woman who lost her husband and son or sons faced destitution. This woman could not go out and get a job. She had no source of income. Without a man in the household to care for her and her needs, she'd be destitute depending only on the kindness and the charity of others for her livelihood. And so she was destitute. I can imagine that within 24 hours of the death of her son, as they are making their way out of the city to bury her son, that already the thoughts of how am I going to be cared for? How are my needs going to be met? Am I going to be able to keep the house? Am I going to be able to keep food on the shelves, clothes on my back? Already those thoughts have begun to creep in to her mind as they made their way to the graveside outside the city. Do these examples of despair speak to you? Death, destitution, or the fear of these, have they come into your life? There may be other reasons that you could experience despair. This text in Luke chapter 7 mimics an Old Testament narrative found in 1 Kings 17. There God sent the prophet Elijah to a widow who would for him during a famine and a drought he came and she did she she obeyed god and obeyed the man of god and cared for his needs and god supplied generously and graciously for her and her son but then after a time her son died here she is like the the woman in luke 7 she's a widow her son is dead and she came to the man of God, expressing the despair of her plight. Listen to what she said in 1 Kings 17, verse 18. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? What does she do? In her moment of despair, hopelessness, it's not just about the death. It's not just about the destitution. Would you notice that that now brings to memory the thoughts of past failures and sin? And what does she blame the death of her son on? God killed my son because of some sin of my past. Hey, can you relate to that? When things go south in life, when you face troubles and difficulties, go through experiences that could spare into your life, 
does that along with it bring up other bad memories? It might be a memory of some failure or sin of the past. It might be just generally of, I'm a person and I do bad things and all these bad things happening to me are a result of the bad things that I've done. That's what this widow did. It's another common reason for despair. Listen to what David declared in Psalm 40 and verse 12. David declared this, listen carefully, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Now stop there a moment. Remember in the Bible, often evil in, in this sense is not moral evil, it's not wickedness, it's just the natural evils, the bad things that happen that people endure. David says, there are bad things happening in my life going on around me. Those innumerable evils, the natural bad things of life, have encompassed me. I'm experiencing them. And then notice what he goes on to say. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. David says, as these difficulties of life are pressing in from every side, what is it brought to mind? His sinfulness. And what does he go on to say? Notice it there. So that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. What does David say? The, these difficulties in life are pressing in on me. It makes me remember my sin. My sins are more than the hair of my head. I can't look up. My heart fails me. David in the middle of other troubles became captive to the memories of past sins so much so that his eyes were constantly downcast his heart failed him this identifies the problems of an improper focus in fear of or in life and that is often true of those who experience despair when you lose hope whether it be in life generally or of a specific situation you also experience a wrong focus in life. You focus on the wrong things. You focus on people in the wrong way or the wrong people. You focus on the wrong thoughts. It's an improper focus and fear. Isn't it true that when you find yourself in a place like that, in a place of despair, going toward a place of despair, you've had some things go wrong in your life, and then what becomes your thought? What's it going to be next? Right? You're not thinking about the positive things that are still happening in life. You're not thinking about all the ways that God is pouring out his goodness and grace on you even through the difficulties. What are you thinking about? What's it going to be now? The phone rings and already you're thinking, well, what bad news is this going to be? David says, that's what I had. As the problems pressed in around me, it brought up the memory of my past sins, and now I've got this wrong focus of life. I've got this fear. Can you relate? We all have these kinds of experiences that can lead to despair. It might be death for you. It might be destitution. It may be past sins and failures. It, it may be something else that leads to despair generally in life or in a specific area of your life where you've just given all up all hope you've thrown in the towel. 
But I want you to see, secondly, as we consider our text this morning, not only the reasons for despair, but let's look at the response to despair. Follow along as I read verses 13 through 15 again. Jesus steps into this experience of human despair. And notice what the Bible says, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. From the text, there are three truths that we can draw comfort from when we face despair. Number one, would you see this? Draw comfort from the character of God, the character of Jesus. Look at your Bibles again, verse number 13. What do we see that Jesus did as he entered the scene? He's coming from Capernaum. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us why he's made this journey. Remember, at the beginning of Luke chapter 7, he's gotten back to Capernaum. After preaching up in the plains, that, that, that message, God's kingdom agenda. He's just come back to Capernaum, his home base. He heals the centurion's servant, and then he, he gets up and leaves Capernaum again to go to Nain. Why? Nowhere else in the Bible is Nain even mentioned, other than right here. Can I tell you that Jesus went just for this reason? I don't know of any other reason, but Jesus needed to get up and go to Nain. And it's apparent that it was only for this reason. And then in verse number 13, when he walks upon the scene, what does the Bible say that he did first? He saw and had compassion. Can I say it simply this way? Jesus saw and he loved. He saw and he loved. Friends, when you are facing something in your life that could easily lead to despair, when you're facing those difficulties, those pressures of life, and you begin to feel hopeless, draw, draw comfort from the character of God in Jesus. When the Bible says that Jesus saw her, it means more than just he laid eyes on her. I'm looking out at all of you and I see you. But it means more than just he saw. The word used here in the Greek text essentially means to and know. In seeing her, Jesus knew her. He knew her situation. He knew her mind. He knew her heart. He knew her grief. He knew her pain. Friends, listen to me very carefully. When you face those experiences of despair, draw comfort from the character of God, from the character of Jesus. He sees and knows you. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. He knows your situation. He knows your grief. He knows your pain. Jesus sees you and he knows you. Even if, if it seems as if you're invisible to everyone else. 
even if it seems that no one else knows or understands your pain, the pressure you're facing, the problems that are mounting up in your life, God, Jesus, sees and knows you. The psalmist in Psalm 139 writes about this so beautifully, poetically, when he talks about how God knows my down-sitting. He knows my uprising. He understands my thought afar off. He compasses my path and my lying down. He's acquainted with all my ways. There's not even a word in my tongue that he does not know. He's beset me behind and before. He's laid his hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot under, uh, attain to it. Whither shall I go from your spirit? Whither shall I flee from your presence? And as you listen, you may think the psalmist, wow, he's discouraged about this. I can't go anywhere where God doesn't see me. But that's not the thought at all. He's encouraged by it. There's nowhere I can go, nowhere I can be, no path of life I can walk where God doesn't see and know me. Friends, not only that, Add to it his unfailing love. The character of God and Jesus when you're in despair. For this widow, Jesus knew everything about her. Everything about her. And he loved her. He had compassion on her. He knew where she was. He knew what she faced. And he loved her right in the middle of it. Friend, listen to me. Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you face. And he loves you unfailingly. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you everlastingly. When you're in that place of feeling hopeless about life, Draw comfort from the character of God, from the character of Jesus. You say, well, I don't know if he really sees me. Sees where I am. Over and over, Old and New Testament alike, the Bible tells us God's eyes are everywhere, seeing everything. Whatever it is you're facing right now, God sees you right where you are, and he knows you. And he loves you. Number two, not only draw comfort from the character of God, the character of Jesus. Secondly, draw comfort from the word of God, from the word of Jesus. In our text, Jesus said very little, didn't he? He comes up to a widow who is grieving the death of her only son, who's facing destitution because of it. And what does he say? In our English translation, it's two words. Weep not. Don't weep. Don't grieve. Does that mean for you and I that we should never grieve in life? No. But Jesus knew what he was going to do for that woman. If I can say it this way, what Jesus was really telling her was stop despairing. Don't be hopeless. There is hope. How could Jesus say that in, situation, in that situation? Because, friend, listen to me carefully. Hope is not about a what. Hope is not about a where. 
Hope is not even about a why. Hope is about a who. It's not about what you're facing or what you're going through. It's not about where you find yourself in life. It's not even about why you're facing that in life. Hope is always about a who. And if Jesus is present, hope is present. There's hope. Jesus spoke to her. He told her not to weep. He spoke to the dead man. He commanded a dead man, get up, arise. Jesus, by his word, comforted and changed the context of the lives of the people he spoke to. Don't miss that. He changed their lives. He brought comfort. He changed the whole context. Apart from Jesus... It's hopeless. Apart from Jesus, despair. That's why Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 15 that we read earlier in the service. If there's no resurrection, then, then why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we walking through life the way we're walking through life? Why are we ministering to others? And then he says this. Why does he say this in the middle of 1 Corinthians 15? Be not deceived. Evil corrupt communications corrupt good manners. I'll tell you why. Because if, if, there, if it's hopeless, if there's no resurrection, and I believe that, that's going to corrupt everything, isn't it? My faith. Living out my faith. But if Jesus is in the picture, there is hope. Hope's alive. I'm not saying that if you are facing something that breeds despair by the way that you just need to read your Bible more. That's not what I'm saying. I think it's unfortunate, and I, I heard that from someone this past week, as they're facing some things, the response that they've regularly been given is, well, just read your Bible more not what I'm saying to you today. But I am saying that the word provides comfort. Don't give up on the word. It's easy when you're facing those hopeless times in life to just close your Bible and, and set it aside. Don't give up on the word. If you're not in the word, get in the word. If you are in the word, focus your time in the word. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Consider what your despair stems from and read according to your need. Now, listen to me carefully, please. I'm not, I'm not putting down one part of Scripture uh, in favor of another part of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But listen, friends, if you're despairing of life, Judges probably isn't going to be the best thing for you. If you're despairing of your... Your, your sin Leviticus might not be the best place to go I, I'm not saying hey if you're facing despair just crack open the Bible and wherever you land start reading no be strategic focus your time in the word according to your need what is it you're despairing of open the word because the word will speak to that need and read according to your need. Read to meet the need. Listen to good biblical preaching or teaching on that issue, that subject. Talk to a counselor whose practice is informed and or guided by the word of God, God's truth. 
listen to God-honoring worship music. All music has the ability to change moods. And you might say, well, you know, I'm despairing of life, so I'm going to just go, go grab this music, grab that music, grab that album. All music has the ability to change but listen to me, friends, only God-honoring worship music can transform the life for good. So draw comfort from the Word of God in Jesus. And then number three, finally, when you're in despair, draw comfort from the character of God, Jesus, the, 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 the Word of God, Jesus. Thirdly, draw comfort from the power of God in Jesus. How is the power of God revealed in this text? A dead person's raised to life. He raised a dead person to life. Friends, if he can do that, then is there any situation of despair that he cannot enable you to overcome. If he can raise a dead person to life, is there anything that you and I would face that he can't enable us to overcome? And I don't mean by that that he'll step in and do what you want him to do in every situation. God may not step into your situation and do exactly what you want him to do in response to it. Can I share with you, transparently, my experience related to our unsurviving twin? When in, I believe it was November, maybe October, we went for that first ultrasound and had to wait a long time for the tech. The, the office was backed up. They were short a provider. We had to sit in a room after the ultrasound for over an hour waiting for the doctor to come in to tell us what was going on. To tell us that this is a twin pregnancy, but one of the twins, the heartbeat has already stopped. Can I tell you what I did? I went home and privately, very privately, I began praying for a miracle. And here was my prayer to God. God, there's another ultrasound in two weeks to see what's going on. And I am asking you to raise that baby to life. And God, I know what's going to happen. If that happens, I am going to worship you for it. And I know what will happen. We'll go in and they'll do an ultrasound and they'll be amazed and they'll say, well, the, the machine must have short-circuited or had some mechanical malfunction where we couldn't find the heartbeat, but now there's two heartbeats. I said, God, I don't care. They're going to say that, but I'm going to worship you and say, you raised that baby to life. That was my prayer. But it didn't happen. Not the way that, that I prayed for it to. Not the way that I wanted it to. 
But friends, can I tell you today that God answered my prayer. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? I worship God today because that child may not be here with me the way I want, but that child is alive today in the presence of God. And so I worship him today. God may not step into the situation and do exactly what you want to do, but listen to me, friends. He is powerful enough to enable you to overcome any situation or experience of despair that you might face. Death will not lead me to despair. Despair is going to die. I'm not going to give in to despair even if death comes knocking on my door. It is despair that is going to die. How can that happen? How can despair be defeated? Because we all have these natural human experiences that can lead to that place. It can happen because we can draw comfort from the character, the word, and the power of Jesus. Is he powerful enough to change what causes you to despair? Yes, he is. But he's also powerful enough to carry you through whatever causes you to despair. That miracle, it's a miracle, is as miraculous as God changing the situation. You know it well. He expressed it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. As Paul related to us how God answered his prayer to remove the thorn in the flesh. Jesus spoke to him and said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Friends, do you know what that's called? Miraculous power and work. You say, but it's not the miracle that I want. It is still no less a miracle that God can enable you and I by his grace and his strength to perfect our weakness. To use what we go through in life to bring him greater glory than if he were to shield us from all of it. And so how did Paul respond? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, what? then am I strong? Are you facing despair today? Generally in life, a specific area of life, we all come across those experiences. If you know Jesus Christ, when you experience despair, whether in life or a specific situation, focus your mind and heart on Christ. Draw comfort from his character, from his word, from his power. And then perhaps today, you're someone here or watching, listening, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Can I inform you today that Jesus is our only hope in life and death? 
There is no other but Jesus. Trust him today.